Let us turn in God's word this afternoon, first of all, to Psalm 103, and we'll read the verses for the text of the sermon. Then we're going to read Isaiah chapter 40, instead of Psalm 52, as I put in the bulletin, we're going to read Isaiah 40. start by reading Psalm 103. We read this chapter this morning. We'll read now just the verses of the text, verses 4 and 5, and then verses 17 and 18. Verse 4 of Psalm 103, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. In verse 17, But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him, and his righteousness unto children's children, to such as keep his covenant, and to those that remember his commandments to do them. Let's turn now to Isaiah chapter 40. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. The voice said, Cry. And he said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all the goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. O Zion, that bringest good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem, that bringest good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and meted out heaven with the span and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance? Who hath directed the spirit of the Lord or being his counselor hath taught him With whom took he counsel, and who instructed him? 
and taught him in the path of judgment and taught him knowledge and showed to him the way of understanding. Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket and are counted as the small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing. And Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor the beast thereof sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted to him less than nothing and vanity. To whom then will ye liken God? Or what likeness will ye compare unto him? The workman melteth a graven image, and the goldsmith spreadeth it over with gold and casteth silver chains. He that is so impoverished that he hath no oblation chooseth a tree that will not rot. He seeketh unto him a cunning workman to prepare a graven image that shall not be moved. Have ye not known? Have ye not heard? Hath it not been told you from the beginning? Have ye not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers, that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain, and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in, that bringeth the princes to nothing, he maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. Yea, they shall not be planted, yea, they shall not be sown, Yea, their stock shall not take root in the earth, and he shall also blow upon them, and they shall wither, and the whirlwind shall take them away as stubble. To whom then will ye liken me, or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high, and behold, who hath created these things, that bringeth out their host by number, he calleth them all by names by the greatness of his might, for that he is strong in power, not one faileth. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God? Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, they shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. Then they shall walk and not faint. Thus far we read God's holy and inspired word. May God bless the reading of the holy scriptures unto our hearts. Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, parents, even young parents quickly learn that to be a faithful parent, to be a Christian parent, is to make many, many sacrifices for your children. You will make the sacrifice of time 
any days, months, years, will be invested in rearing up the young children whom God has given to you. Most oftentimes it is the case that the peak years of your strength are spent rearing up your children. You will make the sacrifice of money, much money, providing a home, clothing, food, education, Christian education for your children. You will make a sacrifice of giving up your personal desires, hobbies, matters of personal interest, oftentimes take a back seat to the duties of parenting. You'll make the sacrifice, as you probably have already experienced, of sleep, giving up on hours throughout the night, holding the young child, rocking the child to sleep. In light of these sacrifices mentioned and many others besides, the devil would work hard on parents to have their thoughts turn inward. Look at me and what I have done and what I have given up for this child. After all, I have toiled, I have expended myself for the sake of this child. And so the devil would tempt us then to become selfish and feel that we as parents deserve something for all that we have provided for these children. And then the devil could tempt us even further to become bitter if we do not receive something in return for the sacrifices made for our children. Making these sacrifices, we are quickly struck at how weak we are. The prophet Isaiah speaks of this weakness in the 30th verse of Isaiah 40. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But God has a purpose in all of these sacrifices. See, we call them sacrifices from our human perspective. But God is sovereign over all of these. God has ordained that the parent must give up much time, energy, and money for the sake of the youth. Why would a good and sovereign God ordain that parents must give up so much for the youth? It is for your good as parents. It is so that you might learn what it is to give and to give selflessly. It is so that as you go through the trials of rearing up covenant children that God would shape you more and more to be conformed into the image of his only begotten son, Jesus Christ.
God has called you to be parents. And God is the one who, through the process of parenting, drives out wickedness, evil, selfishness from your hearts, and transforms you into the holy image of Christ. He does so in his mercy. And that's what we consider this afternoon, his mercy. Jehovah's everlasting mercy. First, we'll consider that his mercy is generational. Second, that it's royal. Looking at the fourth verse, crowns thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. And then finally, his mercy is satisfying. Looking at the fifth verse, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things. Jehovah's mercy is revealed unto us in his covenant. The covenant. We must understand something generally about the doctrine or the truth of the covenant for us to be able to appreciate and understand more fully God's mercy. These verses speak of the covenant. Verse 17 in Psalm 103 speaks of his righteousness, which is unto children's children. And that calls to mind this idea of God's generational covenant. The next verse uses the word covenant to such as keep his covenant and to those that remember his commandments to do them. The covenant we understand is not a cold pact. It's not merely an agreement, a mutual agreement that is worked out between equals. The covenant is not a business contract where two men come together and make arrangements about what they each are going to provide in this relationship. But the covenant that God establishes with his people is a relationship of love and friendship. The covenant is a relationship of warmth. The covenant is a relationship of intimacy wherein God takes us unto himself. The covenant, as it is described here in this text, is a covenant of mercy. Mercy. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. Merciful because man is of himself unworthy to be in this covenant. This is not a relationship between two equals here, but there is a great disparity between the members of this covenant. The one member is the great and the exalted God. The other is the creature who is shaped by God. Verse 19, The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. And who is man in comparison to this great God? Verse 14, He knoweth our frame, and remembereth that we are dust. The uncreated God covenants with dust creatures. How unworthy man is to enjoy this intimate relationship with Jehovah God. Being within the covenant is a privilege, not a right that we deserve. 
And yet the wonder is that God takes us even as little children and brings us unto his holy throne. He takes us who by nature have iniquities and diseases, even as we heard this morning, spiritual diseases which results in our death. God takes us with our iniquities and diseases. He purges us through the blood of the Lamb and brings us into communion with God. This text teaches us that God's covenant is generational. Verse 17, the second half, and his righteousness unto children's children. This is the amazing grace of our God. He is pleased to take the children of believing parents and take those children to be his children. He chooses from among our children his family. Our children are adopted by the sovereign God into his covenant. This is how God has been pleased throughout the history of the church to build up his church. In part, through the work of missions, as the word of God goes out, and unbelievers are brought into the church, but also and especially through the covenant generations, from one generation to the next, God takes our children to be his children. And not a single parent deserves to have his or her children included in this covenant. Not a single godly, humble parent would ever maintain, I deserve, to have my children included in this covenant. My children are so righteous, so pious, that they ought to have a place in this relationship with the God whose throne is in the heavens. But quite the opposite, the parent is intimately aware of the weaknesses, the diseases, spiritual diseases, and iniquities of the children. The parents, especially the mother, as the mother labors daily with the child, is confronted with the reality that this child is fallen. This is seen in the child's impatience, in the rashness of speech of the children. It's seen in the rebelliousness of the child. Even from a young age, the child arching its back and crying out in resistance to mom and dad. And then the parent is further sobered by this realization that my child is depraved, even totally depraved by nature because of me. My child has received my sinful nature. And as parents, you oftentimes can see your own weaknesses revealed in the sins of your children. It is not really the case that your child learns sinful behavior. 
It is not the case that your child is born into this world neutral, neither good or bad, but then your, your child under the evil influence of the world or under the influence of classmates or the influence of friends learns to become evil, but rather it is the case that the child who is brought forth in this world is conceived and born in sin. And that thought grieves and humbles the Christian parent. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. God's mercy is the explanation for why your children are included in his covenant. Mercy, oftentimes described as pity or compassion. The Almighty God, as he sits on his throne and sees his children upon this earth, he observes the plight that they are in. He sees how they have fallen into every sort of sin and wicked wickedness. He sees how they have rebelled against him. And as he observes the sinfulness of his children and the guilt that they've incurred by their sins, he is not unmoved by that. He is not dispassionate in his response to the sins of his children, but he is sorrowed and he is grieved by their sins. And in mercy, he is moved to have pity and compassion upon them. He does not become bitter against his children. But, verse 13 states, Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. In his mercy, God takes this child and God draws this child unto himself. And God desires even to bless that child. You see, the mercy of the Lord that he has toward his children is not a weak or a powerless mercy. Sometimes when we speak of mercy or pity in that way, we, we, we mean it to speak of man who feels bad for someone else who's in a bad state of life, but that individual is powerless to do anything about it. Man might say to the neighbor, I pity you that you are in that state, but man is unable to do anything to assist his neighbor in that state. But when we speak, beloved, of the mercy of God, it is not the case that God observes the plight of his children, but then God is powerless to lift a finger in assisting his children who are in that fallen state. But the mercy of God in distinction from man's pity God's mercy is powerful. The power of God's mercy is this, that it endures. The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting, and His righteousness unto children's children. Over against all things earthly, which are temporary, and which take wings and fly away, God's mercy is endures. Man is as grass. His days are as grass, as the flower of the field, so he flourisheth, for the wind passeth over it, and it is gone. And the place thereof shall know it no more, but the mercy of the Lord. 
is from everlasting to everlasting. There will be trials, countless trials that come in the work of rearing up your children. Sleepless nights, concerns about the development of the child, but the mercy of the Lord endures. There will be concerns with the child's behavior. Times when the child does not remember the commandments, the Lord's commandments. Times when the child shows no apparent interest in keeping God's covenant. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. May this thought provide you as parents comfort and hope in the work of rearing up your children when faced with disappointment with failure remember the mercy of the lord goes from gener- goes from everlasting to everlasting this mercy that god gives unto his children is a royal mercy Described for us in the fourth verse, God who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. There's a royal crown that God gives to believers and to their seed, and this royal crown sets the covenant child apart from the child of this world. The reality is that because this child receives this crown, this child is not going to fit in with the people of the world. At first, the child won't realize this. The child will, in all likelihood, want to fit in in this world, especially as the child goes through teenage years. The child will do everything in his or her power to show that he is not different from the world, but that he or she fits in with the world. The child may well have a fear of being socially rejected. But the reality is the covenant child is different from the child of the world. The child is different, not because the child of himself chose to be different, but because God chose that child. The covenant child is different, not because the covenant child has misbehavior or rebelliousness against mom and dad, but the covenant child stands out because that child has something unique placed upon his head. A crown. A crown of loving kindness and tender mercies. The crown was used throughout the Old Testament dispensation to be placed upon dignitaries and rulers. Crown, oftentimes made of precious metal, gold or silver, had jewels, precious stones, 
in it as well, shaped to the circumference of the king's head. That crown would be placed upon the head of the ruler to be, and as that crown was placed upon the ruler, it indicated that this man occupied a special position. He stood out from the rest of the people in the land. He was anointed by God himself, given the right to rule over the nation. The crown that is placed upon the heads of God's covenant children is not a head of gold or silver, but it is a crown that is more precious than any earthly metal or jewel. It is a crown of loving kindness and tender mercies. It is a crown that is given unto us and to our children by the operation of the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ sends forth His Spirit, and the Spirit enters into the heart of the child. The Spirit quickens the heart of that child, gives unto Him a new heart, the heart of Jesus Christ. And as the Spirit enters into that child, that child is crowned with loving kindness and with tender mercies. The receiving of this crown, this spiritual crown, is pictured for us in the sacrament of baptism. As the water is sprinkled over the head of that child, that is a picture for us of the Holy Spirit who enters into the heart of that little child and crowns the child with loving kindness and with tender mercies. From whence do we receive this crown? How is it that we who are parents receive this crown? And or especially, how is it that our children receive this crown? This crown that we receive is not free, you understand. Old Testament saints understood how costly it was to receive this crown. Not just anyone received this crown, but if you were to receive the crown as the king of Israel, you had to be a warrior. You had to fight to receive that crown. David received this crown, and David was a chief warrior. He fought against Goliath, and against Saul, against the Philistines, against the enemies of God's covenant. David was a man who had blood on his hands. Once David was crowned as king, he continued as a warrior. There was one time where David stayed home from battle, and he fell into sin and was chastised because he did not go out and fight. And so the question is then, how does your child receive this crown? The child has not so much as lifted up a finger in fighting against the great enemy. And yet your child receives this crown of loving kindness and tender mercies. It's possible to receive this crown only because Jesus Christ wore a crown. The mercy of God is revealed in Jesus Christ. Christ is the King who has given the crown. The superscription above the instrument of death, the cross, stated his position. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. 
pure crown, the crown that set him apart from all others, a crown that only he could wear, for he was both God and man, a crown that was given to him not in love, but a crown that was given to him because those around him hated him, despised him, and wanted to kill him. The crown given him was a crown of thorns, which pressed into his head and caused the blood to flow. A crown given him because of your sins and because of the sins of your children. A crown given to him because our God is merciful. His mercy endures from everlasting to everlasting. His righteousness is unto children's children. God in his mercy gave to Jesus Christ that crown of thorns. And it was his good pleasure that his son would suffer and die on the cross in order that your children might receive the crown of loving kindness and tender mercy. This influences then, does it not, the way in which we rear up our children. They have a crown. They are royal children. We raise them as children in a kingdom. This means on the one hand then that there are certain rules that the children must learn. Not arbitrary rules, not rules which provoke the children to wrath, but rules that the great king of the kingdom has established. These children are taken into the covenant, and the covenant is a relationship with God. And so the children must learn to walk with God. They must learn the rules of God's home. How do we behave in God's house? The psalmist speaks of this in the 18th verse. To such as keep his covenant, and to those that remember his commandments, to do them. Children must be taught to keep God's covenant and to remember his commandments. They must memorize his law. They must learn to keep his covenant. It's possible as well that children do not keep his covenant, but that they break the covenant. When we speak of children breaking the covenant, we do not mean that children have nullified the covenant. We do not mean that children have severed that covenant so that they no longer are in a relationship with Almighty God but when we speak of the children not keeping the covenant or breaking the covenant, we mean that they have violated the terms of the covenant that God has given unto them. They have not kept God's 
commandments. And so children must learn then to keep God's covenant. And so on the one hand, there ought to be a certain firmness and conviction from the parents to the children as the parents seek to teach this child to be a covenant child. But on the other hand, there ought to be a certain gentleness and grace in the parents' dealings with their children. How does God treat our children? He crowns them with loving kindness and with tender mercies. We do well to learn from that. We do not view our children as unbelievers, as pagans. We do not as parents view it to be our objective to save the child. Only God can and does save. But we ought to show unto our children gentleness and compassion when they sin and then express sorrow for that sin. We forgive them and lead them in prayer unto Jesus Christ, giving unto them the comfort of the forgiveness of their sins. Those who are crowned with loving kindness and tender mercies are likewise satisfied. Verse 5, Who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. This is one of God's benefits that he gives unto you. He gives you to be satisfied spiritually. Sometimes as parents, we can feel that we are starving, starving for some alone time, starving for a moment when the children are not begging or asking of us something, starving even for the opportunity to come to church and give all of our undivided attention to the preaching instead of having to care for the young infant in our arms. And yet the word of God is that he will not permit his children to starve, but he satisfies. He satisfies thy mouth with good things. He satisfied us in this morning as we as a congregation came to the Lord's table and partook of the heavenly meat and drink from on high. He satisfies us in every Sunday as we come into his holy house. At times he satisfies us in ways that are unexpected. He satisfies us with the kind and gracious response of a child. He satisfies us with good things in the headship and leadership of our husbands as our husbands lead the home in the truths and knowledge of Jehovah God. He satisfies us with his word. For man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord. As he satisfies us with the spiritual meat and drink, he makes us strong so that our youth is renewed like the eagles. Even the youths, Isaiah the prophet said, even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall, but 
They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. And so we join with the psalmist in proclaiming, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless Jehovah, for he is the one who has blessed us richly in Jesus Christ. Bless him, for he has given unto us a crown, a spiritual crown. Even though he may not have given unto us physical riches and physical prosperities and comforts, bless him, for he has crowned us with loving kindness and with tender mercies. Bless Jehovah, for he is the one who has revealed his mercy to you and to your children. Bless him, for his mercy is powerful and takes his children unto himself through Jesus Christ. Bless Jehovah, for as long as you remain upon this earth and when you enter into the heavenly home prepared for you, there you will continue blessing Jehovah into eternity. Bless the Lord. O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father and our God in heaven, how good thou art unto us. We thank thee for thy word, word which reveals unto us thy mercy, which endures from one generation to the next. Wilt thou strengthen us as parents that we might be faithful in carrying out the baptism vows which we have made? Wilt thou bless us as we return to our homes, grant unto us safety in travel, and forgive, Father, our sins for Jesus' sake. Amen.